Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. Carrie, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. I have a 19-year-old house. They insisted on two trees in the front yard, which is a tiny yard. And now I have root issues. I can see uh-huh. that my uh, driveway is starting to buckle a bit, crack some, and my neighbor's tree roots are getting to the foundation of my garage. I called a tree um, company. They said to look into a tree root barrier system. Can you tell yeah. me about how that works and how much I'm looking at? Absolutely. And, and, you know, for those two trees in your front yard, that goes way back. That's FHA started that stuff when they were uh, financing new home construction. They would insist on two trees in the front yard, and it evolved into where a lot of cities now require it and homeowners associations and stuff like that. So you're, we're kind of stuck with them, but root barriers are a great way to protect the home yet still keep the tree and, and have it uh, good-looking. The root barriers that we put in, uh, at due west are basically three feet deep and uh, your roots are typically in the top 18 inches so you'll find a lot of companies will do a, a 24 inch barrier but the roots can just go under that so at at three feet you're 36 inches they typically won't go under it and I use a high density plastic so that the uh, tree roots won't just grow through it as well uh, some companies will use a fabric that has uh, inhibitor beads so that the roots just don't grow any further but it still allows the moisture to pass through well we're putting them in to protect your foundation and so by putting in that high density plastic it doesn't let the roots suck the moisture through the soil any longer from the direction of your tree it it's all coming from other areas uh, away from your home or drive or, or whatever you're trying to protect so now, once they're installed, you pretty much are done. You, What I do recommend, though, is typically when you put in a root barrier, if you trim the tree a little bit, uh, it offsets what you severed for roots because what dictates how much moisture the tree needs to take is the leaves on the tree. The more the leaves, the more moisture it needs. So you can minimize it by taking off some of the branches with leaves on it and uh, you know, minimize the impact of a root barrier. But we've been putting in root barriers for, what, 38 years, Kenny? Yep, about that. And I've yet to see a root barrier kill a tree, let alone damage a tree even, let alone kill it. Okay, so do the root barriers go around the tree? Because I've got no, to with my neighbor's tree. So just, well. just between the tree and whatever you're protecting, like the house. Okay. So, like, if you okay. if you got one on your on your uh, neighbor's property, you can run a root barrier right up your property line, and uh, you're you're totally fine. This seems to be the Jim show today, so we're going to go to Laporte and Jim. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. <laughs> Hi. How are you today? Oh, I'm all right. Just a little hot. Um, yes, sir. I'm it calling, is. <laughs> what I'm calling about is I have a 12 by 16 building i built in the backyard for a little shop and i haven't insulated it yet but i have different people telling me to insulate it different ways 
I have 3M foam that I wanted to foam insulate the wall and put uh, the uh, roll stuff in the ceilings. But then I get people telling me my building is going to rot down if I spray foam. No, it's not going to rot down if you spray foam. Uh, are you going to air condition and heat this yeah. building? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, if you wanted to spray foam in the walls, you can. That's the most expensive way to insulate. Uh, quite frankly, if you're going to use it for a shop, I would probably put, like, the R13 in the walls. I'm assuming you got just regular 2x4 studs for the walls. Yes, sir. Yeah, just put the fiberglass in, the R13. Uh, in the attic... Uh, is is it enclosed to where you can put the bats up in the attic, or do you got to put them up on the roof deck? No, it's enclosed. I have ceiling joists. Perfect. So, the, so I then can uh, up, in, up in the attic, you want to run like an R39. You, you want about 15, 16 inches, and uh, okay. that'll keep the building nice and breathable, uh, and, you know, you, you uh, your air conditioning will be a minimum. Okay. Well, I'm going to spray the foam in myself. I have 3M spray foam. Well, yeah, if you then if you want to spray that in the wall, you, you were talking about putting that in the walls and leave the fiberglass in the attic, you'll be just fine. That's not a, that's not a problem at all. Okay. And I where where people questions. get confused about the, the mold, you know, the mold issue and the moisture, if you encapsulate the whole thing, with foam and seal it up, yes, you can run into a pretty bad moisture issue and mold and mildews and stuff like that. Uh, you become extremely dependent that that AC is running and bringing fresh air in and, and all that. But, um, you know, just uh, putting the foam in the walls and then the fiberglass in the attic, you're great. Mark N. Willis sent in an email about uh, Dockwood. He says, so I'm trying to learn about the difference between CCA and ACA treated wood. The reason is I'm trying to help a friend repair and redeck a dock on Houston County Lake. I've read the interweb, but it doesn't clarify, say, whether ACA or ground contact treated wood, which is available at the box stores, is, is acceptable for dock building. I'm a small contractor. Can I buy CCA wood, and is it really necessary? Besides expense, would composite deck board be any benefit on a lake dock? Last question. You helped me decide to use Ready Seal on a 30-foot bridge I built, and it seems to have made all the difference in the world on appearance. Should it be used after completing a dock? All right. As far as the lumber on a dock... The higher the rating as far as your treatment, the better off you're going to be. The moisture coming off the lake, uh, it, it just, it's horrible on dock wood. And uh, so, yes, get the ground contact wood. Now, I'll be honest with you. I find it better to go to a regular supplier of that material rather than going to the box stores. Uh, they tend to have a higher grade of ground contact material. Uh, that tends to hold up better. They also have true dimensional lumber instead of what's been cut, and it typically will do a better job for you. Uh, and uh, should you put Ready Seal on it? Absolutely, because it will 
protect the wood on the long-term basis and keep it from splintering and, and doing all the stuff that the wood likes to, to do as it dries out. So you asked about whether to use the composites or not. You know, the advantage to the composites are that it's not going to be drying out and splintering and, and doing all the stuff that causes us to have to replace the deck materials. The disadvantage is right now you probably have 16-inch spacing on your supports. you got to go to 12-inch when you use composites. They won't span the 16. They'll start sagging and stuff. Uh, and they do stay looking better longer, uh, but they're not a forever board like they used to market them as and, and people try to tell you. But uh, I'll be honest, I've got a, a little dock out on my pond on, on my house. It has composite wood on it because that's what the... Uh, I have a floating dock, and the people who built the floating dock, that's what they use is the composites because they found it lasts so much longer. So, you know, if if the money's not the issue... That's what I would take a look at. But otherwise, ground treatment and put ready seal on it after the wood has had an opportunity to dry out. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Let's talk uh, for a second here, Kenny. You know, I mentioned this a little while ago as far as the weather being hot and dry, and it looks like this is here to stay. This is what they call a La Nina year, which means it's going to be really pretty brutal. Uh, That's what keeps the the highs on top of us. The jet stream goes up north of us, and that just creates a ton of foundation problems. It does. You had a caller a while ago that was talking about the driveway, and you were over at my house last night, and I was showing you my driveway tilting more. I've got got a gate i've been in there for 20 years and it's never rubbed on the driveway and it's rubbing this year yeah and and uh really our weather cycles go through this every about every 10 11 years but the last one we had in 2010 and 2011 i don't think it was near as bad as what we're seeing right now this is going more like it was in 2000 yeah, and everybody remembers the 2011 drought, and they, they said it was it was the driest year we've had on record here in Texas. But the reality was, foundation-wise, we were busier probably in the 2000, 2001, right up at the beginning of 2002 era because we had three years in a row that were dry. Right. Um, but the way this is setting up right now, yeah, I, I agree. It's we've we've been over on rainfall for for a while, and this extreme dry we're having now is just affecting the soils quickly. And if it carries on for a while, uh, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of foundation movement and other things moving around around, and uh, it 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 takes water in the soil to to try to avoid some of that. Yeah. Well, and and that's one of the reasons I recommend uh, foundation watering systems all the time. Uh, it, it just helps things out to keep things moist. Oh, I see Adam is calling in. Adam, how are you today? I'm doing all right. So as you know, my designer had recommended using pure white walls and pure white, white trim. Right. And so I just went to Sherwin-Williams to get some samples because I don't trust it just like you don't trust that. Yeah. And I found out they're out of oil-based paint right now. Oh, they have been for quite some time. 
Yeah. So I'm getting to the point where we're going to be putting trim on pretty soon. I didn't know if that's something I should just be waiting to paint the trim, or are you kind of more lenient on the latex paint nowadays? It's gotten a bit better. I'll tell you what, Adam, i got to take a real quick break when we come back. We'll address that here on Texas Home Improvement. When we left, we were talking with Adam, my son, and Adam, you there still? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. When you were there, did they try to sell you the newer paints that they use for trim instead of oil-based? They they got these uh, old accolades that they uh, say work yes. as good as the oil base. Yes, that that's what they did try to get me in. Yeah, and uh, honestly, a lot of the manufacturers are going that direction. Um, in my opinion, they are not as good as the oil base. Now, are they mm-hmm. going to do the job and, and make the house look nice? Absolutely. The, the, the oil base, though, holds up better. But these newer paints, they won't yellow the way oil base does. And so you do have some give and take with it. The durability is better with the oil base, but the, um, like I said, the yellowing and and basically long-term effect is better with those new Accolade-type paints. So it's going to be a a matter of choosing which way you want to go, but honestly, you probably won't get, if, if they're already out of, the oil base and have been for a while, you may never get oil base again. So just get what we can get then, huh? That's kind of what's going to happen. Okay. All right. We'll talk to you later. Let's head to Katie and James. This is Jim. How can I help you? Uh, Yes, sir. I got a three-ton unit. Uh, House was built in about 07. And, uh, we just had seven pounds of Freon put into it. The technician thinks the coil upstairs is leaking, and we've had a litany of issues with this thing since we bought the house. You know, day one when we moved in in 2014, the uh, compressor dumped all the oil and through a hole upstairs in, in the pan, seized up the compressor in August. That was fun. Yeah. So my, my question is, a uh, new coil... As he quoted as uh, $2,700, and we, we've we had a, a yearly problem every year with this thing. We thought maybe, you know, replace it. He quoted us $11,000 to put a whole new system in. Yep. Does that sound right? Or? Uh, what size ton is, should you say? Three ton? Three ton. Uh, Rude, I believe. R-U-D-E. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be up in that price range, uh, but you know you're dealing with with a system you said from '07, so you know basically it's a 15 year old system, and you know a lot of times you'll you'll hear me tell people you know you can get a lot more life out of them than 15 years a lot of times, but with the issues you've already had with that system, I probably wouldn't stick a bunch of money into it anymore. I'd probably go ahead and replace that. Okay, and, and should, should, should I save a couple thousand shopping around, or is eleven thousand as good as it gets? I'm not going to say it's as good as it gets, but if you want to shop around, you can call my company, Do West 
air conditioning, we'd be happy to at least quote it for you. Okay. And for a, a three-ton unit, would it be worth it to talk about variable speed, or is that... Oh, without, we're, without we're, we're question. We're, we're hoping to only be in the house for another two years, maybe. Mm-hmm. So... Well, is this a single story or two story? Single story, about seventeen hundred square feet. Okay, with a variable speed, what you're going to find is the whole house stays a lot more comfortable. The temperature stays more even. You don't have as big a upswing and downswing, you know, before the unit kicks on and stuff. Uh, it's much easier on your energy bill, but. Honestly, if you're going to be in there for just like two years, you won't save enough on the energy bill to justify the cost of a variable speed. Okay. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Let's head out to Hockley. Hello, Matthew. Hello, yes. I've got a two-car garage with an extension that is not attached to my house. It is not insulated, not AC'd. Okay. But I'm looking for a vent fan on top to draw the cool air in the bottom okay what is recommended because i've i mean i've looked at trying to get like an old ac uh fan to to mount on top and try to pull it out but what i mean how how is this supposed to be done well when you say it's not attached is it a detached garage or just has a block between the attic of the house and the it's completely detached Okay, so they actually make regular attic fans, and it depends on how much air you want to move. I mean, you Not can everything actually... everything to the attic is all the way down free. There's no insulation whatsoever. Okay, uh, but when I say attic fans, they make a, a fan that you can mount actually up in the attic, you know, that, to just circulate the air. If you want to pull the air uh-huh. out, they make a roof-mounted fan that you can put in. Uh, you can get them in solar, and I would recommend the solar over the um, electric simply because the electric ones, the motors have traditionally had some issues where they like to short out, uh, and you oh, don't have so that I with the solar. I can't put this on a switch or anything. You can. It can still go on a switch uh, and, okay. and come on, but uh, typically what, what when it's the one that's mounted on the roof, they're actuated by temperature. So if it gets hot or humid, it would automatically kick on. Okay, and there's no leaks involved in that? Like rain or anything? Oh, no, it's, it's made for that. Okay. David in Rosenberg, how can we help you? Oh, Jim. Hello, David. I uh, was gone on vacation for almost two weeks, and my home was not occupied. And when I returned uh, and I showered, my hot water had a really bad odor. And I've been home about a week, and it still got a pretty bad odor, but might be a little bit better than it was when I first returned home. Uh-huh. just wondered uh, what the cause might be. You only getting it out of the hot water side? Yes, sir. The uh, rod in the water heater has gone bad. There is a... Uh, uh, anode, anode rod in the water heater, and and, okay. and some of them even have two of them. Uh, 
And what that does is it keeps you from getting that rotten egg smell. Uh, it's what deteriorates when dissimilar metals and stuff are touching each other and keeps you from having that bad smelling water. It's really inexpensive to get it changed out. Uh, you can do it yourself if you're handy, but uh, usually that's all it is. Okay, sounds good. I'll see what I can do with that. Okay. Take Thank care. You. you bet. And and you know that, that that's not saying the water heater has gone bad by any means of the imagination. That is a wear item. It's kind of like tires on a car. It it's it's made to be replaced. Eric, you'll be the last call of this hour of Texas Home Improvement. Hey Jim, want to talk about water heaters for a minute? Okay. Got it. All right, so uh, my parents, uh, they replaced their water heater about three, two and a half to three years ago. Uh, the pilot light kept going out on it. Um, and now that it's gotten uh, these, these high temperatures, it started to do the same thing. We called the plumbing contractor out, and uh, what they're telling us is, is we had a new roof put on the place, and uh, they went to ridge vents. And what the plumbers are telling us is that it's a roofing problem, and the roofers are telling us it's a plumbing problem. So we we have no idea what we're doing or, or where we need to go, Jim. And I just need some advice. You know, when the air gets it, it, when it gets real hot like this, the density of the air changes, and it does become a problem on the ventilation for these uh, pilot lights on water heaters. So it, it really does come down to ventilation. And if they've got a ridge vent, if it's not opened up enough, uh, you may not be getting enough airflow to properly do it. And honestly, it doesn't matter if you got ridge vent or the whirly birds or what type of ventilation. Uh, it just sometimes has to have a little bit more. And it may be that you need to look at putting in uh, something near that water heater to give it the proper air that it needs to keep the pilot going uh that and that could be that could be as simple as uh, some added vents if it doesn't have continuous soffit vents adding some some uh, soffit vents a lot of times is all it takes got an email from david in mineral wells and he says it appears the ac that is 32 years old it's a lennox three-ton unit is about to bite the dust had a repairman, serviceman, look at it yesterday. House is about eighteen to 1,900 square foot. He is recommending to replace outside compressor with a York 3-ton 407C and keep the inside unit that have, will accept the 407C refrigerant. Installation will be less than 4,000. What would you recommend? Thanks, value your input, and love the show. You know... Okay, it appears the AC is. If the AC unit is 32 years old, I would not keep the inside unit. Replace the whole thing, because you are destined to have another problem with it, and probably rapidly when you put a the new compressor outside and stuff. Um, and I understand that you know it's going to cost you quite a bit more to do it that way. But here's the advantages of doing it: one, you're going to eliminate a lot of your problems. Two, it's going to definitely help lower your utility bills. Uh, three, you're going to have a matched set. 
you're not only mixing coolant systems here, but you're talking about mixing a York compressor with a Linux inside system. You just don't want to be doing all that kind of stuff. It is always best if you gotta if you're gonna go with York or you're gonna go with Linux or American Standard Carrier whatever. Inside and outside units need a match. When they don't match, you don't get energy efficiency. So if I was looking at this scenario, especially, like I said, 32 years old, it has done its job. It's lived its life. It's time to replace that system and, and be done with it. And, you know, hopefully you can get another 32 years out of a system. So hopefully that helps you out, David. Amber from Farmersville sent in, I'm having a pyramid beam foundation leveled in Corpus Christi. The gentleman suggested termite guards. I don't know anything about pyramid beam, and I've never heard of termite guards. What are they, and do you suggest I install them? Well, I'll tell you what they are. They're nothing more than a piece of galvanized uh, metal, a little sheet metal that's set on top of the blocks between the wood and the concrete blocks under pier and beam block and base homes. Um, and it's, it's larger than the block, and it's, the edges are crimped to tip downward. And the whole theory behind them is the termites will climb up, but they won't climb out in a downward direction and over the top to get into the wood. Now... Uh, whether or not they work, I got to be honest with you. I've been doing foundation repair for since 1978, and I actually have an office in Corpus Christi uh, for doing foundation repair. And I can't say they work. It all seems pretty hokey to me. I mean, a, a bug doesn't seem to really care if it's going to go upside down and then U-turn and head up to where the wood is. But a lot of the cities require them. And uh, Corpus Christi actually is one of the places that I think requires them. So, yeah, you're probably going to have to go ahead and put them in. They shouldn't cost all that much. Uh, I think it's, I think I get like 15 bucks for putting one in. So they're not super expensive. Uh, but like I said, a lot of city codes require that you have those installed. So uh, hopefully that helps you out, Amber. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.